The Rare Drug Development Symposium is an interactive global genes event produced in partnership with the Penn Medicine Orphan Disease Center that focuses on educating both beginners and advanced participants on the drug development process. Join us for this year's symposium, June 10th to 11th. An optional pre-conference workshop on June 9th will review the current landscape of rare drug development. This is an opportunity to interact with experts, patients, and advocates in the field and uncover your role in advancing drug therapies. To learn more or register, go to globalgenes.org forward slash RDDS. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. In some diseases, such as lysosomal storage disorders, proteins are unable to serve their normal functions because they become misfolded. While some approaches, such as enzyme replacement therapies, have been used to treat these conditions, they can have significant limitations. Gain Therapeutics has developed a platform for using small molecule therapies to return proteins to their proper shape and restore their function. We spoke to Eric Richmond. CEO of Gain Therapeutics, about its platform technology, how it works, and why it offers a compelling alternative to other approaches to treating lysosomal storage disorders. Eric, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Danny, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. We're going to talk about Gain Therapeutics, protein misfolding, and the role this plays in a number of rare diseases as well as Parkinson's disease. We're, we're going to focus on the rare disease portion today, and particularly lysosomal storage disorders. Perhaps we can begin with protein misfoldings. Proteins are three-dimensional structures. What happens in the case of protein misfolding, and what are its consequences? Yeah, good, good question. And protein misfolding is found in a variety of disorders and particularly in lysosomal storage disorders. And what happens is uh, protein misfolding is um, the result of a genetic mutation or other stress factors, including anything even like uh, aging. So in the an example of Parkinson's disease, aging can cause uh, protein misfolding. You find protein misfolding in a variety of diseases um, stemming from lysosomal storage disorders to even oncology, metabolic diseases, um, and you know, cystic fibrosis and many others. So um, it's a very important uh, aspect of cellular uh, mechanism in that an enzyme has to be able to be free to act on a substrate. And in a hereditary disease where there's a mutation, um, an enzyme and I use enzyme and protein interchangeably, may not be in the correct conformation. That means it's misfolded. And as, um, because it's misfolded, it can't work on the substrate. And what happens is it can't move through the cell. And the substrate then builds up and ends up in the uh, recycling bin of the cell, which is the lysosome. 
Um, our technology is, is um, meant to stabilize that enzyme and push it back into the correct conformation so it can then flow through the cell and do what it needs to do with the substrate. In the case of the diseases you're pursuing, is the misfolded protein always an enzyme? Well, our first of all, let me just take a step back and look at lysosomal storage disorders. Um, in general, there are approximately 70 to 80 lysosomal storage disorders that have been described in, um, in, in various publications. Of those, there's only a handful that have any treatments whatsoever. And those lysosomal storage disorders, which have treatments, and you're familiar with some of those like um, Gaucher's disease that has a product like Cerazyme, um, that's enzyme replacement therapy. And those were very, very important products when they first came out because it was the first time there was anything to treat these lysosomal storage disorders. Um, however, the enzyme replacement therapy does not cross the blood-brain barrier. Um, the molecules are too large. And our approach is, is different. We are creating small molecules that can stabilize the enzyme by crossing the blood-brain barrier. And by doing so, we can actually treat the neuronal complications of the lysosomal storage disorders. So again, in the case of the protein misfolding, though, is the misfolded protein always an enzyme in the context of the diseases you're pursuing. Yes, it, it is. And uh, can only our starting point for identifying which diseases we can work on, which enzymes we can target, starts with the 3D crystal structure of the enzyme. So that has to have been published, has to be in the literature as a starting point for us. And typically, we will only focus on the disease on diseases where there is a single mutation or a single protein that is misfolded. So there may be other lysosomal storage disorders that are more complex that involve more than just a misfolded protein. And those are uh, lysosomal storage disorders and diseases that we're not able to address at this time. You mentioned the challenge of the blood-brain barrier. Traditional efforts to treat these conditions have been through the use of enzyme replacement therapies. How successful have these efforts been, and what's been the limitation of these approaches? Well, um, yeah, it's a it's a question, and um, you, you know, as I mentioned earlier, this was truly a breakthrough when these products came out, and to be able to basically replenish the enzyme that is defective. Um, however, the neuronal complications are not addressed. So perhaps some of the symptoms of some of these lysosomal storage disorders can improve, yet the patient still is in a wheelchair. So this is, this is the focus and the goal of our treatments. And, and by the way, our small molecules, we, we expect that they could be combined with some of these other approaches, such as um, enzyme replacement therapy, and also um, even in the future, gene therapy. So um, it's, the way we see it is, is really another tool in the toolbox to be able to manage these diseases and uh, patients that have um, different types or present at different times with these diseases. Gain Therapeutics has developed a discovery platform it calls CTX. How does this work and, and what's the process for finding new therapeutics to target these conditions? Yeah, the um, technology is called, a CTEC stands for Site-Directed Enzyme Enhancement Therapy. And this is 
a platform technology that was invented by one of the founders of computational biology um, as it meets supercomputers. So it's sort of the big data age of uh, computational biology. And this platform is highly efficient. It's uh, patented. It's about a decade in the making. And it's very efficient at finding what's called allosteric binding sites or binding hotspots. And these are little, these are areas on the enzyme itself that when targeted by a small molecule, uh, the enzyme is stabilized. And in other words, it's locked into a certain conformation, which is the proper conformation for the enzyme. And how do we find these? Um, this, our approach is a target-based drug discovery approach. We start with the 3D little structure enzyme, structure of the enzyme that's responsible for the disease. And then through molecular simulations and molecular dynamics, we identify cavities which can be targeted. Yet not all of those cavities are regulatory sites. So then we further apply molecular dynamics to look for free energy changes. And free energy changes, that predicts which sites are regulatory and which sites can actually stabilize the enzyme. And after identification of those allosteric sites, we then do a virtual screen to filter a pool of uh, up to 10 million commercially available compounds to identify potential binders to that hotspot that would have a functional effect. And then what we do is rather um, uh, common in that we develop structural templates and uh, traditional medicinal chemistry to continue to narrow the pool of enzymes that can facilitate correct folding to the enzyme and create scaffolds that stabilize the enzyme. And um, so far, um, this process has been very efficient um, with the use of supercomputers, um, which makes it all possible. We can identify an allosteric site on an enzyme in five to six weeks, and we can screen hits in two to three weeks, and we can validate compounds in just a couple of months. And we, we've done this for all of the products in our portfolio and uh, also in other areas outside of lysosomal storage disorders. I think of allosteric binding sites being used to either activate or inactivate a molecule. What does it do to correct protein misfolding? Yeah, so um, the activation of the enzyme is by stabilizing it. So if you can identify an allosteric site and design a small molecule to bind to that, then that has the potential to actually stabilize the enzyme and uh, enhance its activity. And what we have shown in some of the lysosomal storage disorders that we are um, targeting is, number one, we can find the, an allosteric binding site on an enzyme. Two, we can target it and bind to it. Three, that binding stabilizes the enzyme. And uh, number four, um, the enzyme's activity is enhanced. And so what you look for there is depletion of toxic substrate. And we see that in the relevant animal models. This approach could provide an alternative to enzyme replacement therapies or gene therapies, which seek to correct the underlying mutation causing the disease what might be the benefit of a small molecule approach to these other approaches? That's a really good question. And, you know, we have to look at them one by one. So in the area of enzyme replacement therapy, 
Um, as you know, this is a very inconvenient um, inconvenient treatment for patients at uh, suffering from these diseases. It typically involves uh, an infusion, which could be several hours to a full day, um, every week or every other week, and sometimes every three weeks, um, at a cost of somewhere between $250,000 and $350,000 a year. So it's a burden to the patients, a burden to the family. And uh, as discussed earlier, because it doesn't penetrate the blood-brain barrier, it doesn't even address the neuronal complications of the disease. So adding in a small molecule approach, and a small molecule is easy to manufacture, it's inexpensive, it's oral, um, that in, in addition to enzyme replacement, potentially, and this all has to be proven in clinical studies, but potentially could also address some of the neuronal complications of the uh, disease that the uh, enzyme replacement therapy does not address. Now, in, in the area of um, gene therapy, um, I'm sure you're, you're aware that a lot of the gene therapy studies that are ongoing have uh, various stages of clinical hold right now. And assuming all of that gets um, addressed, um, there are other issues that pop up. So first of all, gene therapy is um, it, it, it's a very comprehensive treatment. Um, and there's a lot of um, a lot of procedures that the patient has to go through before gene therapy, um, and it, it can also be extremely expensive, or is it projected to be extremely expensive? The gene therapy typically addresses a single uh, homozygous mutation, and therefore it's limited in that like what you were describing before and you were asking about before, if there's more than one misfolded protein or um, different uh, different mutations besides that single mutation, it may not have the ability to have any effect whatsoever in that patient. So by combining it with enzyme, with, with our small molecule approach, um, there's potential to have broader coverage of um, these uh, uh, various mutations on, on these uh, genes. The most advanced candidates in your pipeline are preclinical. What's known about the ability of using this approach to restore function to enzymes? Yeah, so it's a very important question. It's something that, you know, we're generating the data. We're quite enthusiastic about it. And it's a very slow um, and, and, um, and, and long process to develop these types of treatments. Um, but what I can share with you is, you know, in, in an example such as um, Gaucher's disease, um, there is a very specific enzyme that is misfolded, and it's because of a mutated gene. And that gene is also mutated in a form of Parkinson's disease. So what we have shown in our clinical studies, and sorry, not our clinical studies, our preclinical studies, is that once we are able to target and identify identify the allosteric site and target it with a small molecule, we have enzyme stabilization in the, the patient-derived cells um, that, are, that have Gaucher's disease. And in the area of Parkinson's disease, we can actually show three different types of changes in biomarkers that you want to see. So um, there's uh, an effect on um, depleting something called alpha-synuclein, which is a marker for Parkinson's. And we also see improvement in uh, dopaminergic neuron activity. And uh, that's a, a marker also. 
And then finally, in uh, certain rat models, we can actually see um, an improvement in locomotor locomotion activity um, in certain um, tests that are given to these uh, to these rats. So this all together leads us to believe that um, identifying an allosteric site, targeting with a small molecule, and stabilizing that enzyme does have the potential to uh, have an effect on not only the um, uh, the lysosomal storage disorder, but also potentially in areas like Parkinson's disease. Many of these diseases affect organs throughout the body, including the brain, uh, although in, in some cases the neurological implications of these diseases take longer to develop. The problem with enzyme replacement case of some of these conditions is that the therapy doesn't get into the brain. What's known about the ability of the oral therapy to address the CNS involvement of these conditions? Yeah. So, you know, it's very, it's really premature for us to make any claims in this area, and we wouldn't do that. What we can do is we can tell you that what we have observed in preclinical research is that um, the small molecules penetrate various tissues, and they do so in a dose-dependent way. Um, which leads you to believe that it, it, it can get into various areas of the brain um, depending on the dosage levels, not only in the brain, but also plasma and other tissue that is important for, um, for having a, a, a drug-like effect. So, you know, that's something that we have seen and we've been able to repeat in our studies. And, you know, it's not the final answer, but it's certainly um, uh, encouraging. Your lead candidate is in development to treat two different lysosomal storage disorders that both involve the same enzyme deficiency. This is GM1 gangliosidosis and Morkio B. What are they and and how do they manifest themselves and progress? Yes, so um, they are are related, um, absolutely correct. And uh, Morkio B and GM1 gangliosidosis um, both involve um, a gene called GLB1. And the goal of a therapy is to stabilize that particular enzyme. Morchio B um, is relatively uncommon. There, the incidence is somewhere around one in every 250,000 to one in one million births. Um, it eliminates the, uh, when there's a mutation of that gene, the activity of the enzyme beta-galactosidase um, is affected, and that leads to an accumulation of a toxic substance called keratin sulfate. And um, as this is typically uh, diagnosed in childhood, and as the child grows, um, they will notice uh, loss of nerve function, abnormal development, hearing loss, and there's no cure for this. Um, so this is a, a, a um, you know truly a rare disease, orphan type disease that uh, needs new treatments. Um, GM1 uh, gangliosidosis is, is somewhat similar in that it's um, that the enzyme beta-galactosidase is responsible for breaking down uh, GM1 ganglioside. And uh, an abundance of this results in neurodegeneration and neurological conditions. And again, this becomes apparent by six months 
And um, what's um, observed is developmental regression, skeletal abnormalities, loss of vision, and and even seizures. Again, no effective treatment and uh, current approaches to treat the symptoms don't don't really address uh, the disease and don't affect the progression. What's the prognosis for patients with the condition? Well, it's very high uh, morbidity and mortality. Um, for, for these patients. So uh, there's really nothing that is um, suitable for, for them to turn to. And that, that's why um, it's such an important disease to target. And what's the development path forward? Well, it's uh, continuing to do what we are doing, um, which is the preclinical research, identifying a lead compound, um, and then taking that lead compound and making sure it uh, does all the things that we expect it to do, including um, being available through um, oral administration and crossing the blood-brain barrier, uh, and then entering to human clinical studies and being able to identify these patients early and um, and and be able to see if there's a um, if there's an impact in managing these patients' uh, progression. Is there a timeline you could offer at this point if all goes well? If all goes well, we will be in the clinic next year, 2022. Eric Richmond, CEO of Gain Therapeutics. Eric, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.